episode number 135 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording on October the 24th, 2021. My name is Eric. I'm host of the show based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham, ham radio operator, and computer geek. Uh, as a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, started a small preparedness company to help people get better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. I'm Alan. I'm a first responder, safety trainer, and overall safety nerd. I'm Scott, first responder, splitting my time between southern and northern Ontario. I like learning things, and I don't accept that things will always carry on the way they have, just because it would be convenient for everybody. And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio <laughs> operator, and general overall handyman. Hello, guys. I'm Brad I'm from eastern Ontario. I've been into preparedness in some way since the ice storm of 98. I'm constantly trying to improve myself. All right, we've got uh, Dr. Alton and Nurse Amy on this evening as well. Uh, so Joe Alton, medical doctor, is a physician, um, medical preparedness advocate, uh, life fellow of the American College of OBGYN, and a retired fellow of the American College of Surgeons. Uh, Amy Alton, as our uh, ARNP and CNM, uh, is an advanced uh, nurse practitioner and certified nurse midwife. Uh, together, they are the... Uh, New York Times and Amazon best-selling authors of various books, including the Book of Excellence Award winners in medicine, uh, the Survival Medicine Handbook, uh, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, and Alton's Pandemic Preparedness Guide. Uh, they contribute to magazines uh, like the American Outdoor Guide, uh, Backwoods Home, Off-Grid, Recoil, Survivor's Edge, and others. Uh, and their website at doomandbloom.net has over uh, 1,200 articles, podcasts, and videos on medical preparedness. Uh, they're also the, the designers of an entire line of medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. Want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air? Buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator and or wood gas fire fueled. <laughs> If you are enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook. Submit a review on iTunes if you want to. We also want your feedback, good or bad, even just a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Also check out our new Discord server. Link in the show notes in the live chat as well, or uh, message any one of us and we can get the uh, link to you. All right, so we've got some uh, medically prepared content for you in this episode. And we're going to start off with Eric. some preparedness-related news articles. Uh, next, we're going to let you know what we've done for our preparedness uh, since the last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic, the Survival Medicine Handbook. So as everyone has always noticed, or, sorry, as everyone has already noticed, uh, Ian is missing tonight. Uh, that's because he is uh, he's trapped under a... Uh, um, uh, essentially a cyclone on Vancouver Island. He's uh, he sent a, he sent us a note just before the show showing how um, how dark and dismal things are, uh, with the hope that he'll be back again next week. Um, so we wish Ian all the best and glad to see that his uh, preparations are helping him stay warm, dry, and reasonably comfortable under really nasty situation. We'll give him a bit of a break tonight. A little bit. We'll still cut into him a bit, I'm sure. <laughs> um, there's an article here about uh, the retailers and the store shelves and and uh, all over the U.S. that they're facing everything with one item 
deep, one or two items deep, creating the illusion of full shelves as to so as to not incite panic and unrest. There was a, a hashtag going around of uh, on Twitter of empty show empty shelves, Joe, and uh, then the Twitter cops took it down. I don't know how they do that. I'm not on Twitter. But uh, a lot of people have been going around reporting that uh, the same thing is happening at their stores as well. And this is going to be interesting. Lower your expectations, everyone. (laughs) Stock up now. (laughs) On more than just toilet paper. Uh, Nothing wrong with having a thousand rolls of toilet paper. (laughs) Hey, Jeff. Uh, So I have an article from the uh, Financial Post. Uh, propane prices uh, have tripled in the last, um, I'm going to say, six, eight months. And it's probably just going to continue to get worse. Obviously, uh, supply and demand with everything going on with our nice virus there and all of the ships being trapped and all of that stuff. So um I don't quite go as far as the article does. It it says uh, U.S. markets brace for an Armageddon. I don't think it's going to get that bad, but um, it's definitely going to be a hit in the pocketbook if you heat or use uh, propane at a, a fair amount. Just in time for winter. Goody, goody. This is my first year. This is my first winter with a propane furnace. I had an extra tank added on when they installed it, and I'm, I, I'm waiting for them to come and fill it. My last price for fill was seventy six cents a liter or something. I'm waiting to see what the price is now. I'm thankful that I've prepaid and I have a credit of like four hundred dollars with them. So I'm hoping to gently use that over the winter and not go broke trying to heat my house. Well, fingers crossed. <clears throat> well, the scary thing is if the. Uh line five pipeline dispute that we talked about a couple of months ago. Uh, it's sort of settled down a little. It's been working its way through the legal system, uh, but it's to the point where Canada has invoked the 1977 transit pipelines treaty, which has never been previous, previously used um, to try and settle this uh, uh, rather ugly issue with uh, a fair amount of the fuel supply for Southern Ontario that gets Pipe through Michigan, and uh, people are scared by the old infrastructure. So we'll have to keep an eye on that one too. Yeah, interesting times. Uh, I've got an article here in regards to a fire on a cargo ship out in BC. Uh, so it's under control, which is good, but uh, it's not known how many containers were burned. So going back to uh, Brad's article where the shelves are starting to become bare, well, now we've got container ships on fire at the port. So <laughs> good times. Did they not? Did that ship not also lose about forty of them into the uh, into the ocean? Yep, mm-hmm. sure yep. did. It sure did, and they're not sure exactly what's in them yet. But there is a lot of uh, hazardous material, as far as they know. So it's going to get interesting. Do you get worse before fired. it gets better? Well, yeah. I, <laughs> like contain, container fires like that are are always challenging. Put them on a ship where you have, ironically, not a lot of water access, uh, makes them even worse. Yep. And it's not going to help that that humongous storm is going through there either. So, yeah. All right. Shall we move into what we've done lately for preps? Absolutely. So, tidying up my garage, getting ready for winter, and I was playing a bit with my Faraday box. 
Uh, I hadn't been pleased with it previously. Um, I was getting a little too much signal getting through, uh, but I found a gap with the gasket, uh, some extra conductive tape, and all of a sudden it's giving me performance comparable to my rapid survival Faraday bag. So I'm uh, ple- pleased that that has uh, turned out nicely. It's always good to have something to reference against too. Exactly. So Scott, how do you test that? Um, so uh, there's all kinds of stuff online. There's um, the EMP doctor has some great YouTube videos. Uh, I was playing, basically just playing podcasts from my phone inside the Faraday box uh, and seeing when it cuts out on my Bluetooth uh, headset. And with uh, the rapid survival bag, basically as soon as I close it, it cuts out. Mm-hmm. Um, with the gap, uh, I was sort of measuring how many feet away I would get before it cut out. And mm-hmm. then when I fix that little gap, uh, basically as soon as the lid on the ammo can clicked shut, I would lose uh, the Bluetooth signal. So hmm. uh, I can still hear FRS radio <laughs> static through it, but um, I have to play around and figure out what frequencies, uh, you know, the sort of the higher frequencies of Bluetooth that get get filtered out. Hmm. Cool. I might uh, <laughs> I might give you a call on, on when I make my Faraday box, you and Jeff as well, to figure out how to do this correctly, but I did. Uh, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, not that we want to tip our hand, but I could see us doing the whole episode on Faraday boxes <laughs> at some point soon. I think that might be in the works. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. So this week I did some more cleanup in my yard in my shed, getting ready for some uh, winter projects. I went to do a final closing on our tent trailer and found out that the, uh, the hatch over our vent leaks. So I had a whole bunch of water in there. Spent a few hours cleaning everything up, shut it up, tarped it, finally. Have to open it again next week, finish cleaning everything out. Changed the oil in my van, cleaned out some of the summer stuff, and this week I'll put in some winter stuff and get ready to change my tires out probably next weekend as well and get ready for that white fluffy stuff that's going to come down and piss everybody off. It's coming. Uh Almost everybody. The snowmobiler here, almost everybody. Mm. You and my brother are the same. He lives in Newfoundland, and he loves to see the cold weather and the snow come down because he's itching to get his sled out. And I'm pretty sure he's got it tuned by now. He's itching to get on the sled and go. Yeah, I haven't quite got there yet, but it's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, top. So rub it in, Jeff. (laughs) Yeah. So I got back to work, actually, like Scott did, working on my large Faraday box. I'm uh, presently putting the wheels on it uh, so I can uh, get it around. Got to figure out how to patch up a couple of the uh, the holes where they, they use it to lock it up. Um, still trying to figure out. I might, uh, I might try and tape over it, or if uh, worse comes to worst, I'm not going to use them. I'll just, I'll just weld a piece of metal right over top of them. Um, did my, uh, monthly food buy at Costco. Ouch. Anybody who hasn't shopped lately, the prices are through the roof. Uh, finished, uh, doing a bunch of yard work. So far I'm up to 19 bags of leaves and I'm still going. And for people who were not paying attention (laughs) at the beginning, when I did my intro, Kyle, pay attention. I got my ham license, uh, with honors. I am certified 
It's about time. You're certified it, right, Jeff? Victor Alpha 3 Mike X-Ray Zulu. So that's my ham license. X-ray. And uh, I've been uh, on the air a little bit. I only have a handheld, but uh, as uh, things progress, we'll be uh, moving there. Hey, Rapid Survival is a great source for uh, ham for ham radios. I got a couple, and they're uh, they're fantastic. Good for you, Jeff. Congratulations, man. Yeah. Well, well done, done, buddy. Well done. All right. For myself, I uh, learned how to drill and set uh, fence posts. So we got uh, thirty-two of them in on uh, on one day. Uh, four by four by ten uh, hemlock posts. Uh, they're all in, and uh, they're all still standing a couple of days uh, after putting them in, so that's a good sign. Uh, and they're all in a straight line, so I was pretty happy with that. And uh, made a couple of contacts over two meters with Jeff. Just uh, kept it quiet so that he could uh, surprise everybody. Well done, Jeff. Uh, Kyle, we can uh, we can pick on Jeff. He's still old no matter what, yeah. regardless of his license status. <laughs> Uh, for myself um i didn't do a whole lot this week um in the midst of why because your back hurt yeah that's exactly right um but uh no i had some family emergencies that were uh that were taking uh taking a fair bit of my time um but i did have my boiler inspected before the winter so uh most uh like boilers need to be inspected every year and one of the things i discovered everybody wait for it too much carbon monoxide being spewed out by the uh, by the burner system. So um, that was uh, it, it's reassuring that getting it inspected on a regular basis actually is worth the effort. Um, that prevents uh, it prevented a whole lot of uh, um, whole lot of heartache and headache down the road. Um, so we're uh, it's being repaired before the before the heating season gets underway. Also, kind of got the truck ready for winter with uh, fluid changes, top ups. Put the winter kit on board. Um, rotated the summer stuff. And that's uh, that's about it for me. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, do a quick uh, Discord update? Yeah, we, um, we've talked about Discord, uh, the new group we have going on the podcast a couple of times, but it sort of occurred to us that we hadn't done a good job explaining it to anyone who wasn't already on Discord. Uh, I joined Discord uh, just because of this. I hadn't been on it previously. Super easy to join. And it's a great format. They have all kinds of different threads uh, for all sorts of topics under our group, our little server. Um, It's quite pleasant to browse, super uh, accessible and easy. It's available 24-7. And anyone is welcome to come uh, join us in the post-show live chat. Uh, We just kind of continue chatting about uh, the subjects of the day or whatever else. So we definitely encourage people to... uh, to sign up and come see what it's about and uh, find some neat re- resources. I think uh, Eric's been posting the link in the, uh, in the live chats. Yeah, the link is up there now. And yeah, after the show, I hop in while I'm doing the editing and stuff. So if anybody's got questions or things they want to talk about, uh, I'm happy to throw my two cents in. But with that, let's uh, let's move into the main topic. But uh, before we do, a quick disclaimer. Uh, all the information and opinions voiced are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice or uh, for anything but in post-apocalyptic settings. Uh, please seek modern and standard medical care wherever and whenever it is available. But with that, let's move into the main topic. And uh, we're going to be talking about... Um, Dr. Alton and uh, Nurse Amy's new book. It's the fourth edition. And uh, we've got a whole bunch of questions for you guys. So we'll just start firing away and we'll let you answer them. Sounds good. You know, 
What I'd like to do, um, Eric, if that's possible, I know that Ian yeah. isn't here today, but he sent, uh, uh, he was kind enough to send uh, a few questions. I think a couple of them are really good ways to start off uh, our conversation about our new book and, of course, a lot of survival medicine topics that I think are, are going to be important. And Absolutely. so I, I want to read just a couple of the questions and give answers to them. And Perfect. his first question was, what led us to actually putting out a latest edition? We've got a perfectly good third edition that was on number one in its categories for so long, including including the day that we published the fourth edition. So why why would we actually do it? Well, uh, our third edition was had passed its fifth year in print, and uh, for medical books, it's you know, that's getting a little long in the tooth. A good interval to publish updates. We have so much new information that we wanted to add in so many articles and stuff that we had uh, and new topics that we had added on to our website that we wanted to put it into an anthology of all of the uh, medical information that we have in the survival medicine handbook. So it couldn't be just 10 sections like the third edition. Now it's now we have it out to 35 different sections because we didn't want 10 sections being too general. So we wanted to separate things out in such a fashion that you get a lot of detail. So now we talk a lot about uh, anatomies. Uh, we talk about specific disasters that lead to specific injuries. We, we, for example, one thing we didn't talk about in detail was crush injuries in the last book. Now we talk about them in detail. We talk about bleeding issues uh, in more detail, infectious issues in more detail, orthopedic issues in more detail. We wanted to add more natural um, options, so we greatly expanded those sections. Uh, plus, uh, new items are always coming out in, in medicine. So uh, things, uh, gosh, a lot of new tourniquets are out since the last book. So we added them in there. Uh, a lot of new hemostatic uh, brand, uh, uh, hemostatic dressing brands. New tourniquets. Uh, IT clamps uh, are, are new. Oh, I Zip stitches are new. I actually brought an IT clamp with me. I'll have to get it. And, and lots of other things that just weren't around nursing care. when the last book was published. And Amy put in an entire section on nursing care. And Which no other first aid book, no survival medicine book who, you know, used our name, has in their <laughs> section because nobody thinks about that. But that's the whole point of long-term care is that your patient's injured. I mean, if they can get up and walk around and go out and do gardening and whatever, they're, they're not truly injured. They're, you know, hurts. But somebody who's truly injured, who's truly bedridden, needs nursing care. And there's very few people out there, including all doctors, no offense, paramedics, EMTs, emergency room doctors, whoever you are, unless you're actually a nurse, a nurse who does either home health or floor nursing, who understands all of the concepts of how to take care of someone who's stuck in bed. And it's not a matter of just bringing them a glass of water or a food tray every couple of hours. There's a lot of things that go in to caring for someone who is, is not terribly mobile, who have has limited mobility or no mobility at all, preventing bed sores, how to wash them, how to take care of them, how to do vital signs. I mean, there's so much that goes into caring for someone. And when you don't have that hospital to drop them off at, guess who it lands on? The person who's taking care of them or the, the family group. medic. Exactly. Or the group of people. And you need to know all of these things or these people are not going to get better. They're going to get sicker. Which leads us to the actual true question 
do you believe, I mean, does your audience believe that there is a chance that there may be some event that may occur that may lead to a long-term lack of access to modern medicine? And if that's the concern, then this is the book for you. If, if it's not, you have no belief that anything like that could possibly ever happen, then a first aid book is perfectly fine. Right. Now, uh, another question that had, the, the actual, oh, oh, the actual book. Yes. The actual book. I actually yeah. have one. <laughs> this is the new cover. Right. Totally we had, redesigned. We had to actually make it, and it's now an eight by 10 that book. That's huge. And, and the back uh, cover. 700 and something pages, <laughs> eight by 10 book. That we had was the last one was six by nine, and it would have been probably 1,000, 1,200 pages. Oh, yeah. Otherwise. Uh, another question Ian, Ian asked that surprised me a little bit was now that the option of fish antibiotics is not there in Canada, at least, any idea for alternative sources? Well, if you're talking about Thomas Labs, you're right. There was significant pressure placed on them to discontinue their line of yeah. fish mocks type products. Uh, but there are dealers that still exist that will that do have DHL inter, international shipping, shipping rates and right. USPS international priority shipping. Uh, Fishmox, fishflex.com, which is sort of funny. It's now an act, uh, anachronistic name. You know, because those, those products don't exist anymore. Because the name of it doesn't exist yeah. anymore. But they still sell fish antibiotics of, of made by other companies. And I've looked at these antibiotics that they are indeed the real thing. You know, but the question, the thing is, is that it's important for you to know that they will There's not be. I don't believe that these will be available. So, what, what's the name of that one? Which this one is, one is the Aquacep. This Aquacep. is uh, so that's, that's Keflex, Keflex or Cephalexin. Keflex with a new new type of label. So they're still available. We just recently bought this just to make sure that they were available and that we didn't need to give uh, our, our DA license right, or anything like that. Right. And yeah. they're real. You guys look them up on pill identification. And they they're are actual human, human antibiotics, antibiotics, a whole bottle of them. <laughs> so the problem that we have and the reason why I think it's important to, if you are going to buy these, then you should probably begin to buy these and stockpile them soon because the FDA has indicated that they will soon in, uh, institute an, an increased stewardship over the use of veterinary medications in the future. And they've already begun with a number of food producing livestock products. These are mostly ornamental fish and bird. Hobby fit, your goldfish. Hobby bird products. Who's going like to take that. their goldfish to a vet? I'd right. like to know. Right. For what, a $50 visit? Right. Here's my goldfish. Okay, thank you for my... <laughs> five dollar antibiotic i appreciate it so now i want to say one one last question it's gonna be a lot of flushed he, goldfish he sent me thank <laughs> thank you for sending me <laughs> right? a, lot, a lot of questions nope. i and uh, ian sent me uh one question that i thought was important he he uh was a little reluctant to ask me I, uh he said optional to answer uh but the question was, since your last visit, SARS-CoV-2 has morphed into a semi-permanent fixture. Indeed, it has become endemic. Other than the freedom in Florida, which, by the way, our main home is in the state of Florida, many jurisdictions see no end in sight. How political versus medical has this issue become? Well, that's something that I think is very important to talk about. We're lucky, we're lucky to spend most of our time in balmy South Florida. Yay, but, DeSantis. The mandates Woo! are serious issues in a lot of areas. Now, the problem is the concept of what they call following the science, almost become a cliche. You're going to hear the medical experts always talking about following the science. 
And governments oftentimes make the claim that they are only following the science when it comes to the current pandemic. Now, when few people, what few people really realize is the extent to which the science may be manipulated to match a particular agenda. Instead of survival of the fittest data, it may be survival of what fits a political agenda. Aha, uh -huh, that's now, funny. I got politicians, it. <laughs> politicians' faith in the opinions of their medical experts serves a purpose for them, and that is to separate them, the politicians, from the blame for faulty recommendations. Why? We were just following the science at the time. But the goals of a medical expert, even an unbiased one, is different than that of a politician. The medical expert is concerned about preventing every imaginable bad outcome that can occur from the presence of a particular virus. That means that they're going to recommend, recommend, always recommend measures strict enough to achieve that goal, even if it means locking every citizen into their own airtight bubble. And that is something that like they did in Australia. Right. And you see that that that's an extreme case of that is in Australia, but there are many states in the, in the United States that follow similar, they're following similar guidelines. Now, this some in some cases is a, due to idealistic, but sometimes I think in practical motives. Other cases, these measures are used as hedges against the kind of civil liability that we have in the United States that can occur from being too lax. It's a great time to be a lawyer in the United States. I don't know about Canada. Um, in the worst case scenario, experts even cynically, I believe, recommend these strict measures to wear down a citizen's, the average citizen's support for a particular politician or a particular government. This occurred in the U.S., I believe, in 2020. Now, one thing that doesn't concern medical experts much is the effect their recommendations have on a society's economy and other collateral damage. They point to the science. Look, we're saving lives. And even while the fabric of an entire nation could possibly unravel, public health policy has many more repercussions than just, well, public health. The process of appointing task forces, advisory committees, all of these things involve a lot of politics. These are political appointees. People like Dr. Fauci, they are political appointees and they are mostly administrators, even if they have MD after their names. They act politically like politicians sometimes, and they can cancel physicians that don't agree with their views. That's why you see one orthodoxy with regards to the COVID uh, pandemic and why there's all this uh, concern about disinformation that's being put out. And whether that's, is that the disinformation? No, it's but, called censorship. That's, that's what that is. That's right. shutting down the the opposite opinion of what you say is the fact and everybody else gets shut down. They get yeah. deleted on Facebook. They get deleted on Twitter. They get deleted on YouTube. They don't get they put get in canceled. jail. They don't get put in jail, but destroying their reputation works just fine to get them out of the picture. Exactly. So I just wanted to say that about, about, uh, the politics it's become of, very political of of this this is all not just following the science there is i think a lot of nuance with regards to that and we have to i think realize the backstories of why some of these things are or how some of these things are decided so that's all i had to say these are some of those are just some of uh, ian's questions thank you ian I, I know you're not there but uh, we appreciate your your starting contribution <laughs> No, thanks for uh, clarifying that. That's uh, I think that's something that's kind of at the 
in front of everybody's mind trying to figure out the the medical advice we're getting through the government versus the actual science that's happening mm-hmm. and it's it's good to hear how it's being presented kind of with a political political view as well so yeah. appreciate the view on that uh, touching on um, the COVID as well is there any uh, any kind of home remedy or anything you guys can think of that uh, can help out with it if if there is no medical availability so um, there's a lot of protocols out now and you know last year there was a lot of poo-pooing things like uh, uh, how do we say this quercetin 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 uh, this is one of the things that was, you know, oh, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And now there are all kinds of um, studies that are showing it does. Um, I have several things here. Uh, you definitely want to take some uh, B complexes. Uh, this is just B1 here. I also have B12 that we take. Um, so get a good B complex vitamin um, to decrease um, inflammation. Uh, number one on the list is definitely uh, a vitamin D. This is one of the ones we've taken. Uh, we also have a combination of vitamin D and K2, uh, which we've gotten off of Amazon. It's in a, a black container. I didn't bring that with me. I have this one. Uh, but D3, about uh, 5,000. They say anywhere from uh, one to 3,000, but I think 5,000 is not bad. I actually have also a blister container um, that says 50. This is only once a week. So I if we take this, it's only once a week. It's not daily. So a vitamin D B complex. Um, when you're taking the um, uh, quercetin, you want to take uh, 250 to 500. This one's actually 500. If it's 250, take it twice a day. You want to combine this with your zinc because this helps this go into the cells. So you want to take these together. They they work together um, when they're combined. The zinc. Um, there's different formulations. The sulfate that I have, actually, uh, 23% of the zinc sulfates are zinc uh, elemental. And so what you're getting from the 220 is actually a 50 milligrams. A good zinc is 30 to 50. So this one's fine uh, to take. We, I do have ivermectin. I was prescribed it when they thought at one point that I did have uh, covid if you can get a hold of that, uh, they're recommending about 12.5 milligrams twice a day for um, infection. And then uh, you can take it on a second day. It's only a two-day protocol, which is interesting. Um, so B-complex, zinc, uh, melatonin is <laughs> not bad. Um, if you're going to start with melatonin for um, prophylaxis, in other words, preventing, start at a low dose of like um, 0.3 milligrams and increase a max would be two milligrams. Again, we're all talking about anti-inflammatories, uh, boosting your immune system. These all work well together. Um, so this is just some of the things you can do. We get these protocols from um, Eastern Virginia Medical School. Right. Uh, also from the Frontline Critical Care Alliance. Exactly. Uh, definitely go see their website, COVID19criticalcare.com. Uh, if uh, you have concern, if you wonder where to get human ivermectin that they actually have uh, sources doctors that uh, will prescribe licensed it. physicians that uh, believe in in the particular medicine the one other thing that i would combine with the things that i've just showed you would be the vitamin c and i would do about 500 milligrams twice a day did so you mention d3 i did okay, i did good. i held up the d3 right. so right. some good stuff to you know you can get over the counter you can get it from 
your pharmacies. You can get it from uh, vitamin sources. You can get it from Amazon. A lot There's of lots of sources. They're all over the counter, except of course ivermectin. I just want to say D, vitamin D3. Uh, people up in the northern latitudes are commonly uh, have issues with a decreased vit vitamin D levels in their body. They, they're just not getting enough sun for sunlight, for example, right. uh, to to have a good vitamin D level, you're shooting for a vitamin D level of at least 40. Most people are 20, perhaps maybe maybe less, 42% in the United States, indeed, of Americans have vitamin D deficiency. Those people who have vitamin D deficiency are more likely, if they get COVID, to be hospitalized and have other bad outcomes. Well, good to know. I think I got my technical issues sorted out because I can hear you guys again. So that's good. Okay. <laughs> uh, another question uh, Ian had was uh, just in regards to tips on uh, getting a doctor to prescribe any of the medication that's listed in the book, uh, you know, like lidocaine, antibiotics, uh, oxytocin, um, uh, et cetera. They're all mentioned in the book. Um, any ways uh, or any tips or tricks, or even if you can't answer, I don't know if you, you're able to answer that question or not. If you can't, we can move on. That's fine as well. Well, I think that the issues that you have with physicians are simply that they are very, they're concerned about losing their licenses. I mean, I'm an old retired physician. I am actively licensed, so is Amy. But if you take my away my license for something that I say here, they're still going to call me doc until the day I die. And right. so, but a lot of young physicians are very scared to actually go outside the orthodoxy and go outside the standard protocols that are out there for particular medical illnesses. And that's why you see people uh, being refused certain uh, medications if they wind up hospitalized, let's say for COVID, like for example, the cybermectin, uh, which- Or quercetin. Or, cor or quercetin, yeah. or, or even, <laughs> even, even natural products like, like that, or natural supplements like that, they won't give them to them simply because they're not part of a particular protocol that is followed by their hospital. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really, that's really the problem. The important thing is to find a, a physician that's sympathetic to your concerns. And remember nowadays, you don't have to physically see these doctors. In most cases, there's such, such a thing known as telemedicine. And so many of these uh, doctors, for example, that prescribe some of the medicines that we mentioned here, uh, they they do it entirely through telemedicine visits, and of course, you know, being an old doctor, of course, I like to physically put my hands on right. on my patients. But that is actually going the way of the dinosaur, it seems, for for better or worse. And uh, uh, I I think that in this circumstance, to get these types of medications, I think this you have to go probably the telemedicine route. When you speak to your doctor, always tell them that you're concerned about <clears throat> issues. And, and this is not just for COVID stuff, but just in general for medicines. You know, what you should do is always tell them you're concerned about you're not being able to reach them in, in the case of an emergency or, or some kind of disaster. And you would like to have an additional refill. If you, you have the option if, to ask for a 90-day prescription as opposed to a monthly uh, prescription. You should do that. You should fill it as soon as you can. Right. And, and, the way, wait, the, and the reason that you do that is because a lot of times they won't make you refill it on the 90th day. Your insurance will allow you to refill it earlier. And it could be 
two weeks earlier. So if you go two weeks before that 90 days, you now have 14 pills that were left over. Now continue to take those 14 because those are the oldest. Take your freshest and you'll start those after you take the 14. But what you've done is now you've got 14 at the end of the next 90 that you have extra and then you're going to go two weeks earlier there too. So essentially in two refills, you've got an entire month because you've did 14 and the 14, you've got 28 days and two refills. So it's a matter of asking your pharmacist, when you pick this up, when can I come back and refill it? And they should have a date. And it's never the date at the end of the prescription because they know that people go on vacation, you know, they refill it a few days earlier. They don't make you wait until you took your last pill to walk into the pharmacy on that day. So you've got a leeway. So make sure you take advantage of those days and go the second that you can refill. And every time you do that, you have a few extra pills and those add up. It's a great tip. What about things like acquiring, you know, acquiring for my, you know, for, for my, my medical kit, my, my home or family medical kit, things like antibiotics, salbutamol, whatever it may be, something that maybe isn't necessary maybe I don't need a prescription for right away, but I want to have on hand anyways. Is there, well, everything is we there talk a good about, way to do that? Uh, everything we, we talk about basically is for you, not necessarily for use today, but for stockpiling for disaster settings and survival scenarios. So yes, so basically, uh, for example, with the antibiotics, if you go to a place like Fishmox Fish Flex, Dot com or chewy.com or also there's oh, a valley canada. vet they're in canada but so. some of them yes. do have yeah some of them only go to the 48 the contiguous 48 but you told me some of them have canadian shipping. yes right uh, fish box fish, fish flex fish mocks fish, fish flex, flex. Uses all one word dot com all right so they'll ship to you so any of those antibiotics so basically what you do is you can buy you know if you go to your doctor you'll get maybe if he's sympathetic, you, you might be able to get a, a prescription for a course of antibiotics right. to have around. Maybe a Z-Pack or a Tamiflu. But if you're the family medic, you need at least 100 capsules. You need you need enough for much more than one course of antibiotics if you believe that there might be a long-term event, right? Right. So you should get these in advance, and these are sold in lots of 30, lots right. of 100. Right. How many are in here? There are this one. 100. 100. So this yeah. is 100. 100 capsules in there. 100 capsules of Keflex in here. So you, even the most sympathetic doctor will not give you this. However, you can get these without a prescription. Right. And and and, and as I said, that particular site happens to have DHL international rates and the US, USPS international priority mail. So I assume those go to Canada. So, that, so those are some of the things that you need to do. Uh, uh, of course, um, there are Indian pharmacies, which I can't vouch for the quality of their products. Right. And and, and also, I can't vouch for the supply chain anymore either. At this point, right. So, you know, it's very possible. Do they even those, have them? Those containers that are floating in the ocean may have a, a few billion doses <laughs> of salbutamol or, or, you know, <laughs> or, or other medicines. That might be that might be somebody's order of, a, of, of some prescription drug. Know there but we'll find the, out someday. you can get those i can't vouch for their quality i haven't haven't had uh we haven't ordered them business done business with them but um uh, they do exist and uh, people can seem to 
Oh, I did yeah. get a bunch of Z packs from them though. You did. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I got like. And we're still here. And by the 30 way, we, packs, we do 30, use 30 these, boxes of Z packs. We do use these on our own persons when it's appropriate. Yeah. No, I've been so taking this for my sinus infection. Experience. I'll literally take it right now. I get that. <laughs> here, no, here's right here. I have to get a drink. Hold on. <laughs> I need something more water. Right. We do have a question in the live chat from Kyle. Uh, just asking if we can talk about the half-life of medicines like the fish antibiotics. Well, that's interesting. The, uh, the potency of these medications are, uh, in the past, it was thought that they were defined by their expiration dates. Now, the expiration date is the last day that a company, a drug company, a pharmaceutical company, there's, there she goes. <laughs> All right, we have to watch her. We'll watch her for the next few minutes. If she keels over, then you know <laughs> that this is the, not for you. All right. Um, I looked him up. I know it's real. In any case, so expiration dates are the last day that a pharmaceutical company will guarantee 100% potency. You're talking about half-life. 100% potency of their drug. So that date is, from that date on, the company guarantees 100% potency. Now, does that mean that if you take it the week afterwards or the month afterwards that you're going to uh, grow a horn in the middle of your forehead or a third eye? No, that's not what that means. And why do I know that? Because the Department of Defense has a national strategic drug stockpile and that drug stockpile is for use in peacetime disasters and other, other major disasters. And those drugs are basically there in billions of, uh, millions of doses probably, maybe billions in some cases. And they just sit there until their expiration date. In the old, in the old days, the Department of Defense would take them, get out the forklift on the expiration date, throw out millions of doses and probably hundreds of millions of dollars worth of these medicines, and put them right in the dumpster or, or however they dispose of them safely of. Well, even the Department of Defense in the United States, which is incredibly wasteful in some cases, realized that this might be wasteful. And so what they did is they did a study. The study was known as the Shelf Life Extension Program. The Shelf Life Extension Program evaluated 122 medicines that are most commonly used during peacetime disasters. And they found that almost everything that was in pill or capsule form was still 100% potent and not dangerous to take between two, depending on the medicine, between two and 12 years beyond their expiration date. And some of those medicines that were two years, it was, they were just two years over, they were just two years expired at the time of the study. And, you know, who knows if they were better, they probably were better for longer than that. And so as a result, the term emergency use authorization came about, not just for emergencies like COVID and, right. and these vaccines and, and things like that, but for medicines that are in short supply. For example, doc, the medicine doxycycline, a common antibiotic, one of the most commonly prescribed antibiotics in North America, uh, received an emergency use authorization when there was a limited a supply of it available for five years beyond its expiration date. Uh, it could be even better longer than that, but they gave you an emergency use authorization officially from the government saying, you got this, you can use it for at least five years after your expiration date, for up to five years after, after the expiration date. So basically your half-lives are in the, mat in, in the matter of years, I, I would have to say with regards to this. 
and uh, and I wrote a, an article about this. What was one of my first articles was uh, the truth about expiration dates, and you can find that online at uh, Survival Blog and some of the other, and of course on our website at doomandbloom.net. And it also has the link to these studies, by the way. By the way, the medicines that were in, in fluid, in liquid form, did not fare so well. So the if, if it's in pillar capsule form, everything I'm telling you, I stand behind, but with liquid medicines, it's much less certain that they're going to last. They usually lose their potency much quicker. Than the, the only exception to that is the EpiPen. Right. The EpiPen, there's a study that occurred uh, in which they used EpiPens that were um, expired for about three years. EpiPen is epinephrine, is used in people who are having uh, severe allergic reactions or anaphylactic shock. And uh, these, uh, these medicines, these are inject auto injectors. You stick them in your, your thigh. And uh, they found that even the uh, even EpiPens that were three years or so uh, expired were up to 80% effective. Now, that means that you might have to had to give a second dosage, but the company felt strong enough that it was useful that if you don't have anything but expired EpiPens, even the company itself tells you to use the expired EpiPen and maybe have a second one available so that you can give a second dose if it's necessary. That's awesome. That's really good to know. So you have EpiPen. Yeah. And we have it, and this is what the EpiPen is. Yeah, this is another thing. Another thing that's very important to have because yeah, here's the EpiPens. The reason why the family the reason why the family medic should have this is because if you wind up having to go on the road like after a disaster, you're, you're it's no longer safe to be where you are. You're going to be exposed to a number of things. For example, if I if we wound up uh, in in Florida being I don't know invaded by Cuba. And we had to get out of Florida and we had to go to Canada. Well, who knows if there are uh, uh, venomous insects or uh, plants that we might be very allergic to. I might have an allergic rea anaphylactic reaction to it. And that's why every medic should have uh, EpiPens available because if you wind up having to go on the road, you don't know what you'll encounter and a member of your family may be very allergic to one of those substances. Uh, EpiPens versus generic. Generic auto injectors are fine. Cloudy, absolutely. Any liquid right. that was sh what was clear when you bought it and it's cloudy now, no good. Other things that are bad. Saline, for, IV fluids. Right. The things right. things that have also solids that have uh, sort of settled to the bottom. If they have solids settled to the bottom, usually that means that you, it probably is not something you should use in terms of liquid medicines. Right. And know. kind of building on the, the EpiPen, it wasn't a part of my questions originally, but um, I know that in a hospital setting, we often use epinephrine in cardiac arrest situations. Is the EpiPen dose anywhere near enough to be effective, or should we save it for an anaphylactic reaction? Well, I mean, if you have someone dying from a cardiac event, then you certainly could consider using the epinephrine. The only problem is that a person having a cardiac event, if you are able to get them back using CPR and using all the methods that you have available, in in a situation where 
there's no longer access to modern medicine, there is no intensive care unit or cardiac care unit to take this person to. And so since that's all that we write about, we don't particularly write much about that because those people are not the kind of people that you will be able to save. Right. If I have a heart attack and I lose a certain amount of heart muscle because of lack of oxygen to it, even if you manage to get me back using CPR or, or epinephrine, it's rare right. that that person, that a person that is, is resuscitated with CPR is able to relive a normal, live a normal life without having to spend a significant amount of time in a cardiac care unit with advanced technology. Which we so have. it wouldn't it wouldn't be worth it wouldn't be worth the effort, and we should save it for a, a more viable. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to say that if it, it was my <laughs> husband and I've got it, I'm using it. If it's your wife, you know, your father, your mother, we're all going to go to the links and including CPR. Think about it. You're out in the middle of nowhere. You know, even if the world hasn't collapsed, your your phone doesn't work. You can't call anybody. Am I going to not do CPR on him with no hope of getting hold of anybody because my battery died or I have no cell phone service? I'm going to do CPR on him until I'm I'm probably physically dead myself. I'm just going to do it. It's like if I have the medicine in my hand, am I going to say, oh, well, you know, he's old. <laughs> I've got a child over here that might need it, you know, because they, they have severe allergies. Am I going to save the medicine? No, I'm going to give it to him. So it's it's ethical decisions. We're, we're all going to go by our heart and our, and, and our love. And there's it, it's going to be really, really tough there. I don't think personally that I could not give him something because I'm saving it for someone else. I don't think I could do that. It depends. If you are essentially the family medic, <laughs> if you're the family medic, <laughs> you want to think about it. <laughs> if you're the family medic, or if you're the community medic, you will you may wind up starting off as a family medic, but you may end up as a community medic. And in those circumstances, you may make dis different decisions, and it's only human to do so. And I give you permission to do so. You're yeah, going to feel I, you're, guilty about your doing that. Your heart's still going to leave. But that's the your way it is. Your heart's still going to leave. Now, medicine, I, I, I see Kyle mentions medicine, medicine's to stock up for barter. And I just wanted to talk up, talk to you a little bit about barter. John Wesley Rawls and some of the other uh, survival experts say that ammunition is the most valuable barter <laughs> item. And in this, I disagree completely with them. I believe that medical supplies are by far the most important, after food, the most important barter items because you, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to have right. the ability to, like this. to make wounds. Quick clot. <laughs> there will be a lot of people that have the ability that. to make wounds. Or quite a Sam. There'll be very few people that will have the supplies to heal wounds. And so it's important to have the ability to have the supplies that you can use for barter. Now, by the way, speaking of which, although I think it's important to have barter, uh, to, to barter, but I think that it's also important to, um, I think it's important to be able to consider the use of barter. Or knowledge is better than, um, well, you know what, just move on. 
<laughs> one of the things we've talked about on previous episodes uh, was talking about all of the skill set that you want to have exactly. within your mutual skill assistance group right. and how valuable having that medical knowledge, having those uh, you know key resources, how valuable that makes you as an individual to your group or sort of to others that come to your group for help. Right. Uh, so I would, what I would like to say, and before I lose my train of thought again, because I'm losing brain cells <laughs> so, quick, so quickly, the fact that if you have barter materials for barter, people in general don't use them to specifically help people. They, what they do is they use them um, to. You lost it again. Lost again. <laughs> what the hell? It's okay. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure it'll come back. It's, it's you know what? Something along the lines of trading skills rather than trading equipment. Well, yeah, and you know what? We we build up silver yeah. and we build up gold and we we build yeah. up medical supplies and we build up knowledge. The important thing is to have the ability to use your your supplies. Yeah. But even if you have supplies that you would want to barter, I think that it's better. I think it's better, honestly, to go ahead and offer your your supplies to help people yep. that are in your community. And if you Absolutely. can do that, then you'll have people that will do anything to help you. Right. And they will consider you so important to exactly. the community That's true. that that you you'll be able to save lives that way. Exactly. Exactly. And you're you'll become very very important and then they'll give you food, you give them help and they'll expend resources to protect you. Exactly. And that was the thing that I was trying to get to the entire time. I can't believe that I It's okay. I blanked out on that. That's all right. We all haven't right. actually discussed that thought in a long time. Well, we haven't yeah. discussed that that no, issue we really in haven't. a very long time. Yeah. Probably 10 years. <laughs> but anyway, it's a, point, yes. it's a very good point, really very valid point to the community and they'll want to do anything around you. You'll get personal security. They'll grow food for you. They'll, they'll do things for you that you can't do. And then you'll provide services to them to help their health. How about think for me? That's that, okay. that would be nice. Don't worry about <laughs> thinking. Don't worry about thinking, honey. I'm here. Don't worry. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a mind meld <laughs> so if, if you could point to kind of one one major skill set that you'd say like the average layperson is missing and say if you could develop this one skill that will help you when an ambulance isn't coming is there one do, do you have one picked out because I have one Go ahead. Okay. So mine would be to stop bleeding. So, you know, we're kind of, when we were in school, it was all CPR. Everyone needs to know CPR, CPR, CPR. That's great. But most of the time CPR is like for what people are in their eighties. Stopping bleeding is for anybody and especially children who are reckless and do things without thought, jump, jump off. You see the YouTube videos all the time. Or the world's stupid. stupid oh yeah, in, Insta videos. Instagram Instagram's page. Kids getting hurt is my favorite. Right, thing to watch. right. I watch kids videos. That's what we love to watch. You know, the people like on the. I'm going to skateboard off the roof and land. You know, and do a double, triple thing, or land in this garbage can. You know, the or uh, the skateboarders that go on the railing and they fall on between their legs and then they hit their 
whatever and their legs going this way anyway bleeding is for anyone so for me how to stop bleeding car accidents your kitchen i don't know how many times i've cut myself with a knife i keep those hemostatic gauzes that i showed you guys in my drawer with the knives and the forks and the spoon there's also a little pack of hemostatic gauze and bandages because i know i'm going to need it really fast but how to stop bleeding for me is probably the biggest thing that we should be teaching kids from age five through 12th grade and in college and everywhere how to stop bleeding you're going to save more lives in your lifetime if you know how to stop bleeding whether it's your yourself your spouse your child or or someone you run into anywhere now i'll say this in in a survival setting bleeding is certainly and, and hostile encounters and things like that those are indeed things that you do need to have it know how to deal with but the most deaths in my opinion that will occur if we wind up getting thrown off the grid and just thrown back into the 19th century medically is going to be exposure to bad water and poorly prepared food True. so i think one of the most important things that is uh, skills to have is the knowledge of several different ways on how to disinfect water because if you can't if you can't count on good water then you're going to wind up having a lot of people losing a lot of people from things like dysentery and right. from other similar types of diseases that killed so many soldiers in the american civil war for example in the 19th century now that's something you're right that is very important and, and the thing is we're also used to just turning on our spigots and and, and having clean, clean water, water come out and even if you have a well, like when I lived in Georgia, when I grew up half my life, we had a well. Well, we knew when we got the well water out, like it was clean. But, you know, there can be contaminations in the future. Or if you are in city water, like we are here where we are and also uh, in South Florida where we are, we're up in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. But both of these locations are city water. If that system goes down for whatever reason, we don't have clean water and i'm sure most people have no idea how to make their water potable or drinkable they just don't understand that there are things in lakes and rivers that can kill you that can give you diarrhea and after a period of time you're so dehydrated you just die people just don't think about water contamination and and how sensitive we are to that system breaking down and and killing a bunch of people and it's and it's funny you mentioned that because we've just had an incident up uh northern canada in Iqaluit. i'm not sure if you've heard about it where their water system was contaminated with um some sort of fuel be it diesel or whatever and they oh. were and they were so they were told no drinking no bathing no cooking no but they were running out with buckets and and taking it out of the local local uh, river and stuff like that and so and even they were saying yeah that's great but what might be a contamination in that water that you think is safe in the river and it and it really isn't and a lot of the clearest mountain streams that you'll have you'll see here we are uh, right now we're spending a little time in the uh, smoky, smoky mountains, mountains national, national park, park here right? uh, even the clearest mountain stream here streams here have uh, 
colonies of Giardia, Giardia. which can cause a pretty significant Oof. diarrheal disease. You know, we, you we call it beaver fever around, around here. Okay, oh, there you go. beaver <laughs> there fever. You go. <laughs> yeah, because right. you don't want it because of beaver. Yeah, contamination of yeah. beaver feces and stuff. I'm sure, right? Yep. And uh, on that on that kind of line, we've got you know, there's all kinds of kit. There's all kinds of things we can improvise. I know a lot of the the, the, the handbook talks about, um, you know, the things that you have that you can make and use for um, for healing somebody. If we've kind of talked about hemostatic gauze, um, touched on that a little bit. If there was one um, one kind of item that you could point to that's kind of a modern medicine item that you would consider indispensable. Is there, is there something a, that would be... I, you, I would say tourniquets. I would that say. would be my idea. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to live, and I don't care what kind of tourniquet. This happens to be a, a, a cat tourniquet. Um, it's Velcro-based, but... I mean, and I can reuse this over and over, but again, it, it goes back to my whole idea of bleeding. So mm -hmm. for me, this this would be too difficult for me. I know you can use a, a a wrench or a screwdriver with, you know, something some wide material. But for me, the quickness and the and the ease of use for this, um, uh, this would be indispensable for me. Right now, from from my standpoint, uh -huh. I think that it's it's more important to have things. Uh, uh, if you're going to have a device that I think will save lives, mm -hmm. believe it or not, I believe that that device would be something like a mini Sawyer or a Life Straw or something that would uh, make it relatively easy I to to I'm guarantee that your water <laughs> is safe to drink. So those are the things that I think that, like I like I mentioned before. I think bad water, bad food, that's going to wind up causing the most deaths in a survival setting. Life I don't have this as open, opposed but to, this is the life straw we have up here in case we have a breakdown of our water. As opposed to gunfights at the OK Corral. Now, at least I hope so. Because <laughs> every day you're going to have to drink water that might be questionable. And I hope you're not going to have to go through you know, some kind of gunfight every day. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Fantastic. So over the, you're, you're, you're thinking bleeding control and, and kind of gastrointestinal health would be the kind of the two well, water, categories. Just, just water, and, and the other thing that's, I think uh, is important is to figure out is to have some way to dispose of human waste safely. So Sanitation. the knowledge to put together, now this is not a device necessarily, but the, the knowledge of how to put together a latrine for a, for a group of people, if it's a community or to, to know to at least have whatever wherever you're disposing of waste be at least 200 feet away from your water source. I think that these are some of the things that are very important, basic things to know that will save lives without, necess without necessarily having a, a device involved. I mean, just, just simple knowledge. And, and so we talk not a, we preventing talk interventions about rather than curing things. Right. We talk about all these devices, but we also try to impart the knowledge that, uh, a lot of it is common sense, but in part the knowledge that will allow you to have the best chance to, you know, keep your members healthy. Right. Fantastic. That's awesome. 
what are some of the pitfalls that uh, you guys see uh, new preppers fall into uh, when they're first trying to get medically prepared? Well, I think that it's the thing with new preppers is that they like the sexy, sensational stuff. So, you know, I, oh, the that, things, like that. I want to show this. Okay, so this is the IT clamp. So this is the newest, latest, greatest way to stop bleeding. We have a video on this on our, our YouTube video. So this is a blue clamp. It opens up. You see those teeth, the spikes. They're so that goes more. on the skin and then you go, ah, <laughs> I just stuck myself. All right, well, it's prepared to go in and you just clamp it like that. And it goes on either side of the laceration and it pulls the skin together like that. The, like the, a hair clamp. The idea behind it is that it's supposed to cause the pressure to be so much when you close the skin tight over it right. that even if the bleeding is deeper, that it winds up causing the bleeding to be enclosed in a confined space, forming a, what they call a hematoma, a collection of blood underneath. And this is something that is, has, is being used by the military and is now approved uh, for... Uh, hard to get to places right. uh, by the Tactical Combat so the Casualty neck. Care Committee. So this can be placed on the neck, which you can't place the tourniquet on the neck, right? right? The and around the neck, you have to, so you can put it in a lot of hands, groin, a uh, number of different right, under the number armpit. of different areas. So these are some of the the co common things is that people get too excited about this stuff, right. and and the other stuff related to trauma, and they'll buy a bunch of supplies related to that but they'll ignore the things that will see much more often than life-threatening bleeds and broken legs they'll wind up uh, uh they won't consider just how antibiotics for example to deal with an infection you know you're going to have people that are doing all these uh activities of daily survival that they're not used to i mean you set me to chopping wood for fuel and i probably am going to cut myself at one point or another and so that cut could easily wind up getting infected and even it could, it could start off mild and then eventually make its way into my bloodstream, cause sepsis. And from a, a two inch cut on my hand, I can wind up dying in a few weeks. So, so this is something that should I we, think should that we stop bleeding on the show new preppers. <laughs> I, think I think there are new preppers who wind up having, <laughs> having these problems and, um, uh, they need to figure out also mundane things, how to put together a sick room, how to put together a hospital tent, how to, how to, like I said, get rid of human waste. Right. You know, how Sanitation. to, what to do for somebody that's suffering from food poisoning or, or how to deal with people or how, how to follow people that have chronic illnesses that are in their group. If, if your mother or your father is in your group, if you're, if you have a cousin who has uh, some kind of medical issue, you have to know a little bit about that. So we talk about chronic medical issues so that you know you have a fund of knowledge of how to deal with things and also how to recognize not just medical problems, but dental problems as well. With it, um, If you have a disaster that winds up knocking out the power for a week, you don't need any dental supplies really in your kit if you're going to be a family medic. But if you have a disaster that knocks, the, knocks out the grid for six months, nine months, then having dental supplies is going to be one of the most important things 
that you could possibly have because Absolutely. people can die from things like tooth abscesses. Wind the, the an infection in the tooth ends up with an abscess, goes into the circulation, kills people. They they find uh, in Egypt they find these mummies that have like a part of their jaw that's that's de right, disintegrated right, because right. these people died from tooth abscesses that went out of control because they didn't have antibiotics and they didn't have the knowledge the 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 instrumentation that could take care of things. That's why we also have a big section on dental supplies. That's why we have right. dental kits in, in, in on our store. Right. Because you are not just the medical officer. Right. You're not taking your medical just medical problems. You're the dental officer. Right. You are the sanitation officer. Right. You are You're also the counselor. Counselor. Right. You are you are so much more so you have such a long description job description as as the family medic you're the nurse you will never have to prove your your nurse you'll never you're you'll never have to prove your fortitude in any other way if you take on this uh, responsibility yeah that's true that's uh, a good lead into the next question uh, just in regards to uh, on your site there are kits available for purchase is there one that you guys suggest for the beginner who's uh, just looking into be being a medically prepared so, you know, I have different size kits and they depend on how, how big your group is. You know, if you're a single person who's just going on, you know, a two day hike, I, I have little bitty kits, you know, that are very compact, super lightweight, easy to carry and just have a, a, a few items. And then I have kits that go all the way to giant backpacks take care of multiple family members, multiple injuries, um, a list of, of injuries this long, including orthopedic and dental um, burns and bleeding and, and major stuff down to little things like cuts and, and blisters or, or water issues. We have things in there for um, emergencies. We have uh, waterproof matches and we have headlamps. We have, we have odd things that you wouldn't think would be in a medical kit, but we thought, well, you know what? You may need to signal somebody. You may need to start a fire. Uh, we ha I have a eight liter water bag that if you need to purify your water, you need to bring the water to your camp because you need to make clean water to ir either irrigate someone's wound or provide the patient with clean water. So I've really gone beyond just medical issues when I've I've come up with these extensive backpack kits. So going somewhere in between there, I had to think like, what would I say? And what we actually carry when we travel from South Florida up into Tennessee into the mountains, which is a 14 hour drive, sometimes in the mountains without internet. In other words, I can't call for help. I carry our medium kit. And that's literally what I have in my truck right now is our medium kit. Now I have two different names for it, but they have medium in it. One of them is my old name. And then I made FSA, HSA, which are health savings account, uh, safe names. And it start, always starts off with first aid medium kit. So you'll, you'll see these different names. They're the same exact kit. If you see the word medium in it, there's two different names, but it's the same kit. It's a trifold kit. It has everything from honey to, um, again, uh, lighting to 
gauze to it has a sam splint for fractures it has things that you need for hemorrhaging it has the medical uh, military tourniquet it has the stretchy tourniquet that you can use on small children or very large folk that the the military tourniquet won't work on um, so it really does have a nice wide variety so for me what i would start with would be the medium kit in addition to that, we have specialty kits, we have dental kits, we have now an eye care kit, eye care emergency kit, which is specifically for injuries of the eye, um, issues of the eye, infections of the eye. Um, and then it comes with instructions that uh, an article that you wrote on eye injuries. Um, I'm very into instructions. So whenever you get a kit, you're going to have some kind of instructions. Um, it's either going to have or it will always have if it has bleeding information. Um, a waterproof sheet front and back on how to use the items in that kit to stop somebody from bleeding to death. And so it's on waterproof paper because it could be raining. Um, there could be blood all over the place. And, you know, you're, if you have just a piece of paper, it gets smeared and you can't see anything. So those have waterproof instructions, any of my bleeding kits, anything that has any kind of bleeding items in there. Um, and the eye kit has instructions. The dental kit that I have separately has how where there is no dentist. So it has the entire book there. And the information in the that's in the book relates directly to the items that are in the kit. dental kit. Right. So the dental kit was based on the book by dentists that we consulted with to make sure that they were cohesive. Because you don't want to have a book that tells you to use an instrument that you don't have. That's no good for you. So when it talks about using zinc oxide powder and clove oil in the where there is no dentist book that's exactly what you have in your kit so they go right. together so you can make temporary dental filters. exactly i also have an ob baby delivery kit which is one of my newest kits and that has a, an instruction book which is super easy to look at and and understand it's made for third world countries so there's not a lot of words in it, but there's a whole lot of pictures, which is great for people who have never delivered a baby before. You don't want a whole bunch of paragraphs and words that you don't understand the terminology. Show me what I'm supposed to do with my hands to get this baby out safely. And everything, Just, everything. Don't lose points if you catch one of the first bounce. <laughs> yeah, right. Hold him by the leg. Ah! <laughs> as long as you catch him by the foot, you're okay. <laughs> everything that she's talking about is described in detail in our fourth edition of yes. the survival medicine handbook, right. by the way. So it's, you're not just thrown medic, you're not just thrown supplies and, and, and not given the ability to learn all about it. We're not, so into not education. Just exactly, not, not just where to put your hands, but yeah. you know, how the process works right. and things like that. Th this, this is our life's work here. The kids, you know, I never in my wildest dream thought that I would be selling first aid kits or designing first aid kits or packing first aid kits. It was all about education when we started. It was teaching. It was traveling. It was educating. Um, that's what it was about. We, we only started doing first aid kits because there was demand. People were reading the book and they said, well, you've got these great lists of what I should buy. Can you make some kits? I'm like, Hmm. So the first one I did was the family kit. And then they all, that family kit gave birth to everybody else. <laughs> the eye kit and the dental kit and the OB kit. Well, that's awesome. And you guys uh, ship to Canada as well, correct? Yes. I do. Yes. Perfect. 
I knew that was going to be a question in the live chat here any second, so I figured I'd get ahead of it. <laughs> um, I, I see Darius said that, uh, was wondering if uh, the IT clamp is difficult to use in a bloody area. All, believe it or not, it works actually pretty quick to stop bleeding in bloody areas. But I would say something that nobody else, no one else is going to tell you in first aid kits. Bloody areas, every device is more difficult to use That's in a fast. bloody area because it is indeed slippery and so that's why yeah. in in our uh gunshot kits in our in our kits that are specifically meant to deal with bleeding that we have more than one pair of gloves because sometimes right. things are right. so moist right. so so slippery <laughs> so as you just got to take off gloves real quick and put on another set and so we actually give you additional sets of gloves because we know that that's going to happen uh for example the another thing that people don't know is the israeli battle dressing which has anybody have you guys heard of that yeah okay it's it's a compression compression dressing and it is vacuum packed but what people don't know until they find out very unpleasantly is that when you open up one of these when you open up one of these you think you're have you have oh my the, gosh you're opening it yeah i'm, okay. opening, I'm opening it <laughs> He always opens up my supplies. When you open up one of these things. <laughs> I have it open. I have the six inch opened up right here. All right. No, but that's not, I'm not showing sure you how, how to use There is a second package. What, once you open this vacuum pack thing, guess what's inside? It's another plastic vacuum pla pack container. Here, I'll do that for you. So you actually have to cut the second one open. And you're doing that in the midst of a bunch of bleeding. And so I recommend always leave opening up the first vacuum pack uh layer this and one this vacuum pack layer and this is what you're left with you see you still have a plastic vacuum another pack layer one to open. so that's why i put scissors in every single kit that's right you got to cut these open you have to cut these open you will and you don't know about it and no one will ever no one ever tells you about it until you actually wind up having the unpleasant surprise of saying holy mackerel i have to open the, <laughs> open up this vacuum pack sealed uh, plastic container so what you do is take this put it in this open one that's why you can leave it in like this it's still sterile and it's easy to take out you use the scissors we give you to open it up and the reason you have to use scissors is because your hands with your Too gloves slippery. on it are going to have blood on Too them slippery. and there is no way and you know what the military tells their guys this is the funny part they tell them to use their teeth. That's how they tell oh. them. If you ask any military guy how they were instructed to open this up in the middle of an emergency, it's to hold it and use their teeth and open. Can you imagine your your bloody hand is holding this and you use your teeth? Yeah, no. Make sure you have scissors. <laughs> and that's why that's why we have a, that's why we have a dental kit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> All right. I've got one uh, one final question here. Uh, just in regards, have you guys noticed any misconceptions on medical preparedness that uh, continually come up as as people are talking to you? Oh boy, just yeah. Basically, people think that they because they have a medicine cabinet with band aid with a, ba a box of band aids and a bottle of paracetamol. What do they call it? Paracetamol or or well, acetaminophen or, or ibuprofen uh, in in their uh, medicine cabinet and maybe an ACE wrap. <laughs> they think that they're medically prepared. Totally prepared. 
That's <laughs> not the case. Right. You need to have a variety of different types of supplies. We discuss these supplies in detail. And, and even though the book is for sale, all of the stuff that we talk about is absolutely free in as long as you're willing to do research on in our 1200 articles, podcasts and videos we talk about, we write about, we, you can watch videos about all of this stuff, uh, absolutely free. But you know, this is why we talk about all the different types of supplies that you actually do need. And, uh, we really want people to have, uh, a, a varied amount of supplies because there are a varied amount of medical issues that you're going to encounter. Right. And so I think that that's one thing that's, uh, that's really important. And the other thing is that let's say you buy a medical kit from us or you buy a medical kit from some other company, some other uh, company that makes medical kits. The thing that I see people do most commonly with it is they take the kit, they don't open it. They just <laughs> put, take it and they put it on the top shelf right. of the closet and, it gets dusty. and they forget about it. <laughs> it gets dusty. What I recommend, and this is, I recommend that you do this with our kits as well, that we think we put everything where exactly it should be. However, it may, what makes sense to us may not make sense to you. So I want you to take our kits. I want you to open them up. I want you to take them apart and dissect them. And I want you to move them back together, put them back together in such a fashion, such a fashion that it makes sense to you because you don't want to open up one of these kits and say, Oh, where is the stuff that stops the bleeding? You want to know that instinctively. So what, what makes sense for you intuitively as to where that should be may be different from what it, from what it seems like to us. And so that's something that I think is very important. People never do, you know, very few people will do that. And uh, I think it just, it just makes me nuts that, that these things sit on the shelf without being actually fiddled around with. And, and that's, and that's leads to the point of training, using your items that you can reuse again, like this cat tourniquet. I mean, unless you use this a thousand times, because eventually Velcro will give. But you can practice. You can practice putting this on yourself. You know, I ha I personally have videos. I'm sure other people do too. But I have videos of how to put these tourniquets on and set them up and use them. Of course, I'm killing myself right now. Well, you want to get to the point where you can put these on with without one, thinking. one hand. And without thinking. There you go. And you have I to just know. Set up, I just set it up. you got to put the time on here. So that everyone knows. But you want to be able to do this without thinking, with absolutely no thought whatsoever. How do I put this on and save a life on myself or on someone else? And it's okay to use these. These are not sterile items, the tourniquets. Now, your your gauze, um, the main thing you're going to do is you can use even paper towels and, and take, we use pool sticks, pool floaties. And we've cut holes in them. These are just pool floats, which I made a, a little shape here so it sit nicely on a table. But we cut this out. So you can learn how to pack a wound with this just by, again, using a length of, of paper towels and learning how to pack a wound, watching videos and how to keep pressure on the wound from where the bleeding's coming from. And, and that's how you learn. You're not using right. up your medical supplies, but it's, it's hand memory. And once you've done it a few times, it's like riding a bike or swimming. 
when you have to use it and you have to do it, it's going to come to you because you've practiced it. And so the, uh, as much as you can with practicing. Exactly. And talked about this on the last episode, the um, American College of Surgeons, their Stop the Bleed program, they've actually offered the kind of the theory portion, so the learning element of it on, on their website now. So you can uh, you can see how it's how the, the experts recommend for it to be done and then practice this on your own. And that's absolutely right. We right. Have our, it's repetition. We're, we're certified stop the bleed instructors yeah. through the American College of Surgeons and um, and on the, we, uh, have our, we have bleeding, our own ble stopbleeding.org. We have our own uh, uh, seminar that we have on Stop the Bleed that uh, we put on Facebook. Which is much YouTube. more extensive than stopthebleed.org. But it's still, but the important thing is to absorb this information. When you take these classes and you, uh, when you take first responder classes through your municipalities, I think the important thing for you is to realize if, if you are concerned about an event that would take us off the grid, you always have to, as you learn each module of, in these courses, you have to say to yourself, what would happen? What would I do if I couldn't just stabilize and transport this patient? Because right. that is your goal that you're taught. That's what you're taught right. in to these move, classes. Move them away stabilize from Stabilize and transport, pass on to the next highest medical resource. Right. Everything we write about assumes that you are the highest medical resource. Right. And so it's very important for you to think about these types of things that's the that's the medic mindset for survival and if you can do that and you can have strategies and that's what we've been trying of course for the last decade to try to put out as many of these right, types of strategies right, as right. possible well then you're going to give your family the best chance of surviving in times of trouble that's right oh, awesome um, one question here in the live chat, just in regards to uh, making a purchase of a of one of your guys' kits, um, is the transaction when you're shipping to Canada still made in U.S. funds, or is it converted into Canadian funds on the website? I'm pretty sure it's U.S. funds because the platform is Big Commerce, and that is a U.S. company, and I don't think that they're converting to Canadian dollars during that the makes process. Sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it's U.S. Yeah, I missed that question. I knew that one would come up too. Standard e-commerce for Canadian purchases. <laughs> but I do have, but I do have the option for Canadian shipping, so they can do it automated. Um, I did have for a time before they did that, where people would have to email me. Now, if you've got a large order, it's probably better to email me because I think I now I just got um, a nice discount with FedEx to Canada. So if you're shipping something that weighs a lot of pounds, say even over like 15, it's better to email me at drbonespodcast at aol.com. And I can actually quote you probably a much cheaper shipping. And so you can save some good money. I just got that on like Tuesday. So it's super new. It just happened. I haven't been able to update the website. So write to me if you got something you want to order from Canada that has some good weight to it. And I will find a, send me your address, what you want. I'll do a shipping quote. Hopefully it'll be much better than what you saw on the website. And we can save you some money. Awesome. Wonderful. Do you have a few questions, Scott? Yeah, um, I love that your guys, your book shakes off the continu 
continuity bias that things will always be available, that help is coming. Uh, I love that you guys talk about cleaning your own medical equipment for reuse, growing medical plants, stocking useful supplies for reuse bartering, uh, the sick room, the nursing, the expiration dates. Um, and every, I mean, I, I have a medical background and I love how everything, everything is presented in a very user-friendly way. Uh, with regards to reprocessing single-use equipment, I'm familiar with some of the post-SARS studies of reprocessing N95 masks. Um, some friends of mine actually built UVC-based sterilization to keep some of the long-term facilities supplied with PPE during kind of that early onset of, uh, uh, of COVID. Um, I've read various journal articles looking at cleaning single-use devices, and there are some varied opinions. Uh, the articles all seem to be very specific to a particular type of equipment, uh, just for their test, you know, the, a laparoscopic biopsy punch versus common hemostats or something, right. uh, something like that. What are your thoughts about reprocessing single-use equipment? Uh, or is it really just a moot point? Because if we're in a situation where we can't resupply anything, we're going to have to do it regardless. Um, you know, it's hot soapy water followed by a pressure cooker adequate for most items. Well, you know, we discuss various ways to clean and disinfect even disposable items, like you mentioned in, in our latest edition, we really expanded that, that section in the survival, survival medicine handbook. And we also talked about it in Alton's pandemic preparedness guide, another one of our books. Uh, it needs to be simple and it needs to be effective. So, Having an antiseptic like uh, povidone iodine or chlorhexidine, uh, I think that's called, that's hibiclens here and betadine here, I don't know what it's called up there, uh, and maybe a battery powered UVC one, that actually, believe it or not, can make a big difference in your medical storage with, with regards to uh, making things, di disinfecting things and making them reusable. Uh, in one uh, Wilderness Medical Society idol, uh, article, I'm a member of the Wilderness Medical Society, and by the way, anybody can be, so you might consider uh, looking into that. Uh, researchers uh, dipped medical instruments, common medical instruments, into a soup they made that was uh, contained seven different bacterial pathogens. Now, in this study, contaminated instruments were first scrubbed after, after being dipped for a period of, I think, 30 seconds or something like that. They, they were uh, scrubbed with chlorhexidine for about 30 seconds afterwards, dried with a sterile four by four gauze, and then were, were hung up by with, a, I think they used a hanger because this was a, a wilderness environment theoretically, uh, or something, something simple. And then they passed a UVC, battery powered UVC wand within four inches over the instruments in the open position. And, uh, they did that for 45 seconds. And then they evaluated it afterwards to determine how many bacteria they were able to remove from this thing that was just sort of laying around in a soup of these pathogens. And it revealed a 100% reduction of bacteria and it achieved levels of sterilization that were acceptable for use in the field. Now, if the instrument was not used right away, the, the one that you just cleaned, if you vacuum sealed it, it actually extended the life of the sterility. So this would be great if you had this, but I'll take hot soapy water and a pressure cooker <laughs> at about uh, 15 PSI for 20 minutes as an alternative any day though. So if you've got that, let's, uh, I'll go with that. 
Uh, Amy, between the antibiotics, cutting yourself, giving yourself a sunburn with the UV, UV wand, you're very committed to this podcast. We really appreciate it. You bleeding? Jake, she is very hands-on. Yes, I have, I have bled for this show. <laughs> very hands-on. Anyway, yes? Um, all right, so my next uh, question, just we were talking about antibiotics as a, a uh -huh. very useful thing to store ahead of time. Uh, if we end up in an, a resource depleted situation, would some of the non-antibiotic resistant bacteria have an advantage or suddenly be less hindered than their resistant siblings? Or is that genie just already out of the bottle? Um, I mean, is it just common bacteria in that two inch cut from your firewood work that's gonna get you and we really don't need to worry about the hospital acquired organisms as much? So, um Whatever has mutated is mutated. It's just like COVID, you know, there's thousands of mutations already. So whatever has uh, been mutated or, or changed because it's been in um, animals that we have injected with thousands of different antibiotics over, you know, however many years we've been doing this, 40, 50 years, um, that's just out of the bottle. Um, going to the future, if we stop doing that, we're not going to have more, but we're still going to have the ones that exist. And that that's for everything that's mutated already. So things that are exposed to antibiotics that are triggered to have mutations, if there's no longer antibiotics in those animals, they're not going to have further mutations based on future antibiotics, but we're not going to get rid of what we have. The reason why she's mentioning animals is because 80% of the antibiotics that are used in North America are given not to humans, but to food producing livestock. Exactly. And the reason why that is, is not because there are infected food producing livestock that need antibiotics, but because there is actually a statistical difference in how fast these animals grow. If you give an animal a chicken or, or uh, some other livestock antibiotics, it will grow faster and reach market sooner than if you don't give it antibiotics. There's some countries that have wisely stopped or banned this practice like Denmark. And indeed, sure enough, there's not any more evidence of infections in humans for eating this type of food. But indeed it is, I think something that is a big issue. And very few people know that indeed, like I said, 80% of antibiotics do go not to humans, but to our, the, the livestock that uh, make up our food source. The funny thing is that most of your problems um, are going to come from organisms that in, in, that invade breaks in the skin due to minor injuries. Remember I, me chopping wood and cutting myself and getting a little infection? Well, that infection most commonly is not it is going to be from bacteria that naturally lives on my skin, staph, epidermidis, step, strep, epidermidis, these kinds of, of uh, bacteria. And they are absolutely not a problem if they live on the outside of my skin, my skin, but they are indeed a pathogen if they are in inside. my soft tissue, right. in my blood vessels, and things like that. Right. And they can actually cause uh, sepsis and, and can be a problem. Now, uh, with the lack of antibiotics, and this is why I'm so strong on antibiotics and tried and, and a decade ago figured out that this, that these fish antibiotics would be actual options is because there are going to be so many unnecessary deaths associated with these kinds of, 
uh, of uh, infected wounds that you'll, it's going to cost you valuable members of your survival community. I remember an American History uh, Channel program known as After Armageddon. I don't know yep. if anybody saw that. Yep. But After Armageddon uh, was the story of a paramedic and his family, some um, long-term you know, society ending disaster. I don't think they even ever said exactly what happened. They just kind of started it and said it's like an end of the world thing already. But in any case, we followed them. Yes. And they made their way to uh, uh, a community community that accepted them. Which seemed safe. It seemed like they were saved. Like, oh, everything's going to be fine. But of course, you know, you're a paramedic, but your duties are not just to sit around waiting for people to get injured. Your, Your duties had to be general. So right. he was, and he was to, not the medic for the right. community. So he was growing food and he was right. doing all these things and he managed to cut himself doing one thing or another. And he saw that it was getting red and infected. And indeed he went to the stores of the community to see what the medical stores are. So you see him find antibiotics, no antibiotics. And sure enough, and with the knowledge of a medical professional, he saw his, his redness spread and he wound up, well, within three weeks, he was dead. Spoiler alert. Spoiler, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> Spoiler <you>. alert. <laughs> it's an interesting show. So the the thing is, is that you have to have some of these things because infections are going to occur and they're going to be, they're not big problems now because they can be nipped in the bud. Right, but if you right. don't have the tools to nip them in the bud, right. then you're going to wind up having as a medic, medic not just headaches, but heartaches, uh, in terms of losing people. And I would like to say we're not like, oh, take an antibiotic all the time. Every time you have a little cut and scrape, get an antibiotic. I mean, what you saw me take is actually because I have a sinus infection because I came up to the mountains and it's really dry up here and I have allergies and I developed a sinus infection. So I took this antibiotic, not just, you know, out of shock and awe, but actually because I do have a sinus infection. We don't believe in overuse of antibiotics. We believe in judici- judicious, judicious, use, thank use you, of antibiotics. use of antibiotics when appropriate. I blanked out for like five minutes, so That's you're, okay. you're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, honey. People are going to protect you because you have doctor knowledge, no matter yeah. what. <laughs> so just a, just a quick question then on that small antibiotic thing. Yes. Um, I, ca- I carry a tube of polysporin in my kit. Okay. Um, and anytime I get a small nick or something just out of the essence of precaution, I just put a little bit of polysporin on it. And is there anything wrong with that? Is that okay? Or no, actually, no, it's fine. You, you as medic, you are serving not only yourself or your people in your community by not get, wind up getting an infection exactly. yourself, then you'd be doing disservice if you didn't. So the other, and so. Go ahead, you the finish. bottom line is prevention is key because right. having to treat problems takes up a lot more supplies than preventing problems. But I want to say one more thing. When you don't have the polysporin, when you don't have the single antibiotic ointment, use raw unprocessed honey on that cut. It will not only work as well it may work better because they've actually done studies that penicillin resistant staph infections will be killed by the raw unprocessed honey that will not be killed by topical antibiotics so 
you might actually be doing yourself a favor instead of using carrying the polysporin carry you know a, a tiny bit of raw and processed honey in a little container a little packet a little ziploc bag whatever it is um, i do have little packets of honey that i put in every single kit they either get small packets or they get um a three ounce container of raw and processed honey but every single one of my kits has unprocessed honey raw because that works really well as a topical antibiotic cream and prevention for infection or also as a treatment for infection now darius is right when he, he says to flush wounds while they're still open absolutely and, and that's that's something important and of course you know, before putting clean your, it, clean your clean polysporin it. on, of course, you would want to flush out the wound and clean it. Aggressively. That, that, should, that should go be without saying. Aggressive washing is uh, absolutely number one for preventing infection. Kyle asked for alternatives. So moxicillin, if someone has an allergy, um, Keflex or Cephalexin has a 10% cross-reactivity with amoxicillin, so not that. But doxycycline would be useful. Azithromycin would be useful. Clindamycin would be useful. Um, anything in the tetracycline family, erythromycin, um, doxy. Uh, I said doxy. There, uh, oh, sulfa drugs would be would be good too. So those are some uh, options. And we talk about uh, antibiotics in detail in in the book as well. I, I love that you guys talked about after Armageddon because that's one of my crystal clear memories that made me think like a prepper. <laughs> There you go. I know. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Us too. Yeah. Yeah. It came out around. We, we started heavily getting into this in 2009. Um, it was a combination of Hurricane Katrina and um, what flu was out then? What year? Was that eight? I forget which flu it was. Uh, honey, uh, uh, swine flu. Swine flu. So between the two of them, we looked at each other. We said, you know, if a bunch of people died during a crazy pandemic that could have been like the Spanish flu in 2000, or excuse 2000, 1918, um, we could have a real problem. And so thankfully, you know, what, what we prepared for has not actually come to fruition, but a lot of things that Joe and I thought about with empty shelves and um, trucking and shipping, um, infrastructure, which is, which is now a year and a half later happening. Um, all of these things, we actually discussed a lot of this, not being able to fly, people being isolated, nurses and doctors not going to work. Now, I will tell you that the nurses and doctors not going to work and staffing the hospitals, we thought would be an issue of the infection and quarantine and possibly death rates. We did not expect that the president of our country would be telling people that they had to be fired and so we were going to lose 20 to 30 or 40 or 50 percent of our firemen and our paramedics and our police officers and our nurses and our doctors um, which is going to cause more problems than we ever had with health safety but anyway that's a whole nother story uh, let's see. I see a question. Recommendations for eczema anywhere on the body. Uh, Freya, you know that uh, there are seven different types of eczema that we describe in uh, the fourth edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook. Uh, lanolin moisturizers, these are commonly yes. used. Colloidal oatmeal is, uh, is used. Uh, some people uh, use the 1% hydrocortisone cream. These are things that you'd be able to find 
that you'd be able to buy without a prescription and store. So these are the things that would be useful for, for a topic eczema. There are a number of different kinds of eczema, as I mentioned, and each one of them has specific things that you know they're better that are better for it than for one type than another. I will say that I sat in a lot of oatmeal baths when I was a kid from poison ivy and poison oak. Very okay. soothing. And that's a type of eczema, believe it or not. It's a type of uh, dermatitis mm -hmm. that, that is similar to eczema. Yep. Um, you guys have a huge library on uh, doomandbloom.net of podcasts and information. What are some of your favorite ep episodes to direct new listeners to that sort of speak to your, your guys' way of thinking? You know, it's almost, we have so many hundreds and hundreds, any, hundreds and hundreds of them. <laughs> it's hard to say. What I would do is I would first send you to our YouTube channel, which is called DR Bones, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. We're talking about the podcast, though. I know. I know. Then look at, take a look at the, the subjects, that, the topics that are discussed there. Look at the, you know, look at the video and see if this is something that you would like to know more about. And if you want to know more about that, go to blogtalkradio.com, look up the word survival medicine, our podcast will come up. And uh, then it has, I think, a search feature that you can plug in. I always put in, uh, let's Keywords. say, survival medicine podcast, thyroid problems, or survival medicine podcast, diabetes, bleeding, survival medicine podcast, right. bleeding, fractures, sprains, fractures, sprains, strains, right. dental, you know, right. dental issues. Right, extraction. And you can, and you can listen in to you know, to a lot of our, our stuff there. Yeah. Blog, blog talk. We actually had our first, our first thing we ever did was a podcast in October around this date. I think it was probably the 20th of 2010 yeah. or 2011. Was it? Was yes. It 2010. Yes. Which one? 2010. 2010. Um, we were on another network. I was actually one of the producers. We did that for a year and then we, Ended up with another group of preppers who was run by Dr. Prepper, which is funny because he was not a doctor and he was barely a prepper. <laughs> um, but he drank Dr. Pepper. I don't know if he did that. But anyway, we did shows on his network for probably two more years, uh -huh. one or two more years. And then we just said, we're going to do it ourselves because that way we know they'll never go away and they'll always be there. So probably since 2000. 13 or 14 every single one of the podcasts yeah. are on blog talk probably 600 there. probably 500 and 600 podcasts there because we know they're never going to go away yeah. <laughs> if we exist they'll exist as long as our credit card is good <laughs> oh, it's a fantastic library you guys have created thank you it's a shame we missed you know the first couple two or three years but that's all right those were early ones we were just learning how to do all this anyway <laughs> Probably not worth finding anyway. <laughs> we're, we're, we're still learning. Oh my Actually, gosh! I think I've, the first I think one we, I've regressed. The first some, one we did tonight, here, I've regressed. We didn't even have Wi-Fi at this cabin. This was not like we're talking about 2010. Wi-Fi was not like a big thing people had. I mean, this is a cabin up in the mountains. They didn't have cable, Wi-Fi, or anything like that. We were stealing Wi-Fi from our neighbor. <laughs> So our our podcast was like uh, it, it, ooh, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> but shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> 
Stealing yeah, such a harsh word. word. I prefer just borrowing without consent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. And then the, I, I figured people were coming up to the mountain, didn't want internet anyway. They're trying to get away from all that news and like stuff. Yeah. I didn't even have cable. Fat, fat, fat chance. I had no cable. <laughs> I was like, you know, just get away from it all. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Those were the days. Now we're connected. <laughs> So I got a question for you guys. What is the best on or off way, off grid way to keep her hormones and thyroid problems in check? Okay, well that is well, first thing, if you're going to be the medic and you're going to have people in your uh, family or in your group that have thyroid problems, it's important to learn the symptoms of both high and low thyroid conditions. And of course, to be able to identify, to be able to examine the thyroid to determine whether there are lumps or nodules or, or things like that on there. And, and each, interestingly enough, we talk about exactly how to, how to make, do that type of exam. And we talk about exactly what the various symptoms are of both low thyroid, low thyroid conditions and high thyroid conditions. And some of the symptoms can be and signs can be very pretty striking and you don't have to be uh, you don't have to look under a microscope to know that somebody has some of these issues um, you might consider uh, if in a in a situation where you're off the grid you might consider desiccated uh, porcine or bovine thyroid extracts these are available uh, some of them are over the counter some of them are prescription uh, thyrovans is one that i think is over the counter um, and these are a lot like alternative remedies. You'd almost have to test whether they work for you uh, individually, because they do vary from individual. And that's best That's best done, honestly, in normal times. If you're thinking about using some of these uh, uh, natural extracts, well, basically what you should do is, whoever is dealing with your thyroid issue right now, you dis discuss with your provider using the extract for a period of time and having them check your levels right in in a, within a couple of weeks your levels will either stay within normal range or they're going right. to sink like a stone right. if they stay within normal range these extracts are an option for you if they sink like a stone they're not um, dietary changes can be uh, useful for some thyroid issues for hyperthyroidism you might consider restricting nicotine, caffeine, alcohol, other substances that alter metabolism. They're, they're helpful. Uh, vitamin C, B12, L-carnitine, these are thought to have a, a beneficial effect. Uh, the same foods, by the way, that, uh, the foods that you would uh, use for, now this is for hyperthyroidism, the same, you, you would probably want foods that depress your thyroid. And the one, interestingly enough, there are foods that do that, and they are cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and spinach. For hypothyroidism, you should avoid these foods, Cab cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and, and, and spinach. So there are some dietary things you can do. But by the way, that leads me to one other thing. If you're going to be a successful medic, you're going to have to keep your and keep your people healthy. You're going to have to keep them fed. So you, medic, should wind up learning how to garden and putting together a food, not only a food garden, but a medicinal herb garden. Find out what grows in your area and 
try to grow it. The, the, believe it or not, there is a learning curve to these types of things. Oh, yeah. Your first attempt is not probably going to be successful, and you don't want to start a food garden or a medicinal herb garden at the after a disaster has occurred and your people are starting to feel hungry or beginning to get sick. So, so these are the things that are important. And I think the medicinal herb garden is very important because no, if it's a long-term situation, no matter how much you've uh, stored away in terms of medicines, right. then what's going to happen is you are eventually going to run out. Yep. It might be earlier, it might be later, but you're eventually going to run out. So you need to know what grows in your area that might have a beneficial effect. And so we outline at least 20 something different uh yeah i didn't herbs count, that can be 20. herbs can be used as teas right. uh, uh how to plant them her, right herbs, how to grow that, them. herbs that you can you know try to extract oils from although you need equipment for that uh, and, make and, teas from right, how to grow and how to grow as you mentioned a medicinal garden and that's from you get teas master from. gardeners we're master gardeners <clears throat> for the state of florida through the agricultural extension office that doesn't mean that we're master gardeners for, for canada <laughs> you but, but believe it or not I know South, Florida, South Florida is a lot different. You yeah, gotta know your, right. The big thing is you got to know your grow zone. Right. So find out your yeah. grow zone first. Right. Get an idea. And, you know, I grow things that are outside of my grow zone. I actually got um, blackberries recently. I have two blackberries. I do experiment. So I I, I want to grow things that are outside of my grow zone. I I had no luck for with lavender. I have had no luck with um, a, a garlic. Oh garlic is just giving me just, no matter what kind of garlic i get it just you know it'll grow a green thing and maybe make a flower and then i look underneath and there's nothing i'm just you so, know some things you're screwed by so bottom by, line by your rosa like you guys aren't going to get oranges mm -hmm. up in canada you know right. i'm sorry but right. i can get oranges and right. i can i have bananas and i have sugar cane we can grow bananas you can grow apples you know it's probably yeah. that type of thing they but, have pears they have grapes yeah. so so basically that's the thing you have to realize is that you you are responsible for a lot of different things if you're going to keep <laughs> keep your people healthy and so you know try to learn as many things as you possibly can and, and for and one important one is gardening for food and gardening for medicine right, and i want to say one more thing to somebody who mentioned this um we actually did keto we, we do keto intermittently now, but we did keto from July 5th until about Christmas time last year when my daughter came to visit and she was doing some other diet. We were strict on it and we lost weight and your blood sugar straightened out and our blood pressure straightened out and my cholesterol, which I have a family problem, it's genetic. My cholesterol's run in the 300s, came down to, I think, 180 something, which is unheard wow. of. For me, for the past 36 years, I've had cholesterols over 300. I mean, literally, I should be dead. I talked to my cardiologist and I laugh. I said, you know, I should be an experiment for you because you people freak out when someone has a cholesterol of 200 and I'm over 300 for 36 years. Like, I shouldn't be here, but I'm fine. And my stress test is good, but keto corrected his blood sugar, our blood pressures, our weight, our uh, energy level, um, our thinking. It was just amazing. I know there are a lot of people that are so down on keto, but if you have faced a lifetime of, of eating 
pretty healthy and balancing your diet and watching all the labels and you just can't lose it no matter what you do, I'm telling you, keto is going to blow your mind. You are probably aren't going to be the person that loses the 30 pounds in the first month like I didn't and I was very disappointed. But give it time. Even if it's three or four pounds a month, it's more than what you were doing before, which was probably just maintaining and not losing a, a, an ounce. Over time, you feel healthier. We had so much energy. And I just personally, I think keto is, you know, some miracle diet that in 10 years, I'm going to be like, everyone needs to be on keto. <laughs> awesome. May, maybe. <laughs> well, thanks we'll a lot, see you in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so I've seen this question come up a whole bunch of times in the live chat here. And I know uh, the audio listeners as well are going to be asking, where can we in Canada get a copy of your book? Amazon.ca. <laughs> if you want the uh, black and white version, we do have a color version that is uh, personally signed. You'll receive a personally signed. Uh, that uh, I had a private printer do. So that's only available on our website. Because I, I have the boxes. I'm almost out of the 500 that we ordered that are number and signed. Um, so I have to order another group. Um, because I'm shocked. <laughs> they, they, they won't be numbered. They won't be numbered. But uh, but I want them to be available. So be we're gonna, signed, I'm going to order another group. Signed to signed to you personally. Absolutely. And so, another place. Uh, uh, you guys. Website store.doomandbloom.net. So Amazon uh, Amazon Canada store.doomandbloom.net, and uh, you guys are also nice enough to send a copy uh, that we're going to give away on the Discord. Oh, yes. So if uh, if you guys head over to the Discord, check out the giveaway section there, and I'll be posting that after the show, and that'll run for a week to give everybody enough time to, to get in and get signed up for it. And uh, that is a color edition. It's number 293 of 500, and it's uh, a signed copy as well. So I appreciate you guys sending that along. You are very welcome. You're very welcome. We really appreciate your having yes. us on your show. And we appreciate you guys coming for the, uh, the third time. <laughs> And fourth time's a charm. So yeah. next yeah, year, perfect. Maybe. <laughs> awesome. We'll schedule it uh, later on. There you go. <laughs> all right. I think that ends all the questions that we have uh, from the panelists. Um, we'll move into the podcast challenge. Our advice is that you purchase Dr. and Nurse Alton's new book, The Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Help is Not on the Way, fourth edition. Uh, or win a free copy in the Discord. It's uh, signed and in color, apparently. Uh, and learn how to become more medically prepared. It's such an important part of the things we think about. So this is a tremendous resource, and we're so lucky to have uh, uh, have the Altons helping us uh, this evening. All right. And uh, upcoming events, the petroleum shortages. Just wait for it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, deal of the week We've got uh, Canadian Tire has uh, the Buck brand uh, Kingsman folding knife uh, on sale for ten dollars ninety nine cents, regularly fifty bucks. So uh, check that out. Can never have too many knives. Nope. Uh, shoutouts. In the panel, let's say a quick uh, shoutout to uh, Dr. Alton and Nurse Amy for coming out uh, again for the third time. We do really appreciate you guys uh, coming out and sharing your, your medical knowledge and expertise with us. It's a, uh, it's a great help to everybody who, who listens and I'm sure everybody's going to uh, take something away from tonight's episode and the last couple of you guys are on as well. So. 
Now we appreciate Thank everything. Thank you so much, everyone. We appreciate everything you guys do for the preparedness community. I know. Well. What an amazing group of folks you've gotten together. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. Uh, with that, I'll bring episode number 135 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on pod, uh, or on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course, your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out, submit a review. It does help other people find us. We record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you alerts when you're going live. You can contact me that at Alan, that's Alan with one L, <laughs> at prepperpodcast.ca. This is what happens when you read the script verbatim. And that <laughs> handsome Scott guy will give you his email address shortly. <laughs> Right. Uh, and where can everybody find you, uh, Joe and Amy? Oh, well, you can uh, find us at our website is called Doom and Bloom. Our YouTube channel is ZR Bones Nurse Amy. Uh, we have uh, Facebook, MeWe, and uh, uh, Mighty Networks groups, uh, PrepperNet groups. Um, a, a lot of the media, social media and connections is easy to find at the top of doomandbloom.net. Um, I have all the little icons for the YouTube, the podcast, um, Apple, iTunes, because our blog talk is on that, um, the Twitter, Facebook, Twitter not, not only the regular show. Facebook, but the group Facebook. Um, so it's all there. We also, of course, have, we're on, um, what's those alternative ones now? MeWe. MeWe. I don't have an icon for MeWe up there, but we are on MeWe under survival medicine, but look for groups. The thing is when you get on MeWe and you put survival medicine, your first result is people. So you actually have to adjust your results to groups. And when you adjust your results to groups, then it will show up uh, survival medicine for MeWe. Awesome. But we're there too. All right, Jeff. Uh, being the gray man, you can just uh, get the hold of me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. We're on the ham radio waves now. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Scott? Uh, you can catch me, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. We can talk about wood gas fires, which, Kyle, I did mention earlier in the, uh, the little <laughs> bit about keeping the generator fueled. <laughs> Kyle stats for everybody. All right. Uh, you can get a hold of Ian at uh, the Island Retreat at gmail.com or the other uh, CPP, the Canadian Patriot Podcast. Uh, they record Monday nights at uh, 9 p.m. also on YouTube. Uh, you can find me at uh, rapidsurvival.com. Uh, get me on the live chat there or at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So uh, thanks for joining us this evening. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning. <laughs>